those things are claimed through action. And, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but that's the premise for inhabiting the work. And that's going to be my title. I was asked today what my title was going to be before I started, and that's what it's going to be. So I said, give me some time to think about it. But that, that's, uh, that's where we're going to start. But before we uh, dig in here, can we just uh, close our eyes and, lift, and, and just lift up our voices to God to speak to us here today? Dear Jesus, we give you thanks, Almighty God, for your spirit, for your word, Lord, for the journey that we all are on, the journey of faith. I pray, O oh God, today that you would touch us, Lord, with your word, that it would be planted, Lord, and that we would be transformed by it. Lord, it's such a holy journey, this journey of faith. Lord, and I want to be responsive to your word today. I want to see the wonders, God, that you have yet in front of us. Lord, I want to walk in the miraculous. I want to walk, God, in the promises wherein you desired and have planted us, O oh God. I praise you, Jesus, for the work, Lord, that you're going to do in each of us today. Have your will and have your way, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say amen. 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 Last week we finished looking at what it means to inhabit the rock, and we briefly covered what it means to inhabit the land. In the first week we looked at what it means to inhabit the promises of God. We considered what it means to have a redemption song and how it relates to having met with God who transformed the bitter places of life into sweetness. In all, we have journeyed through a land where God is calling, where He is drawing, where He has desired that we be established. From Egypt to the mountain and into the promised land, Israel was seeking to inhabit God's promises. Though they would fail to obey and keep covenant, God continued to abide with them to carry out His Word to them. For them and for us, our response to God's Word will determine to what degree we inhabit those promises. Israel's encounter with God at Mount Sinai was less than what it could have been. And that's what we learned in the past few Sundays. It's less than what it could have been. Put, could have been. And consequently, their habitation of the promised land was in turn less than what it could have been as they were plagued by war and idolatry. Eventually, this new generation of Israelites would fail in their commitment when they said to Joshua they would obey and keep covenant in the land. In Joshua 1.16, it says, And they answered, Joshua saying, All that thou commandest us we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. <clears throat> According as we hearkened unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. I'm sure they had good intentions, and their heart was in the right place at that moment. They were ready to go to war and attain what God had prepared to give, to give them. However, they were not prepared to fully carry out their words, just as Israel had said when they would obey and keep covenant at Mount Sinai. This new generation would also fall short. Here again, there was a promise that God had given, but due to the response of Israel, they were unable to fully attain the rest God was wanting them to have in the promised land. The words that Joshua left them as he died were as follows. Now therefore fear the Lord, 
and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Amen. For Israel, other things would become more important than following through with this commitment. With this commitment in Joshua 1. There have been 24 chapters in between these two accounts. However, their words of affirmation to keep covenant and obey was still in effect. In the years to follow, they would turn to idolatry and turn away from God. Their commitment, their rest, and the promises of the land wherein they dwelled would be less than what it could have been. The place the promised land was meant to be would be a place of conflict, disobedience, and trial. When in fact, it should have been a place of rest, obedience, and victory. This land was a place where Israel enjoyed its promises for a time, but in the the capacity that God had wanted for His people. They lost sight of who they were meant to be. They forgot the calling to be the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, and the peculiar people. In essence, perhaps they had so turned to to other gods of the surrounding cultures, they ceased to be who they were called to be as they became comfortable. They became comfortable in the land. Whatever Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. I think that they lost touch with who they decided to choose that day as comfort began to seep into their lives. We cannot become comfortable with what is around us because it will limit our faith in how we use those keys of authority that we spoke of last week. We cannot become comfortable with the world around us. We cannot become comfortable with the same old, same old. We cannot become comfortable just living day to day in God's blessing, but without a mission. I have to have a mission. Too much is at stake if I become comfortable. My desire for obedience and relationship with God is at risk when I become comfortable. Setting into the status quo is a scary place to be. To endure the same old, same old. To experience just what I become comfortable with when there are so many more blessings ahead of me. If I get comfortable in whatever is my routine, I will become I will begin seeing myself as a resident not of the promises of God, but as a resident in whatever my routine has become. So instead of seeing myself in, uh, through the identity or through the eyes of what God has said are the things that He wants to do, I become comfortable and I begin taking on the identity of the things around me. Whatever I surround myself with will begin to have an effect on me. If we desire God to mold us, we have to allow ourselves to be surrounded by the things of God. When we talk about spiritual, personal spiritual disciplines, it's not just about uh, just getting up every day and, and establishing just a routine. No, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's becoming surrounded by the kingdom of God to inhabit His words, to inhabit His presence, to be conformed to His image by his, by being surrounded by the things of the kingdom. 
Israel's level of comfort with others around them caused a loss of direction. And I fear that if we become comfortable with the things around us, it will cause a loss of direction. What will I fail to see if my eyes become conformed to cultures and cultural identities around me? Whenever God calls me to see through the eyes of the kingdom, whenever God says, I have went to prepare a place for you, you are called to dwell in holy places. If I believe that, then my eyes should see more than just the, the comfort and the things that the, the uh, cultural surroundings. So my level of comfort with whatever I put up with will determine my direction. But my prayer is, O Lord, let no comfort with godless things, with things that fall short of the high calling, with things that do not matter in light of eternity be found in me. I lift up my eyes today. I will not be fooled by a shadow of God's blessing. We should not be unaware that the enemy of our souls wants to give us a counterfeit of the true comforter. If my soul can experience the comfort of the comforter, I, can, I must be aware that there is a counterfeit. That there is a counterfeit the enemy wants to have me experience that isn't true comfort. It will only lead to distress. It won't give me peace of the promised land. A comfort that will lead us away from the identity of the children of God into servants of powerless idols. That's the thought. Because the world that, is surround, the world that surrounded Jerusalem when they entered the promised land was a place full of idols. The People were worshiping all kinds of different gods. And instead of going in, and, and last week what we covered, we talked about uh, possessing the land. And part of the possessing of the land was to go into the land as the children of God, as the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, and to pull down the strongholds of the kingdoms that were in place. So the kingdoms and the powers that asserted their authority and their dominion over the land, they were supposed to go in there and tear those down. But once they got into the promised land, it became a place of comfort for them. After the wars, after the war was over, after they got established, after Joshua passed out in the land, and they began to enjoy the peace that God said they would have there, they stopped going into the other places and tearing down the other kingdoms that were still surrounding them. Instead of being progressive, instead of having a mission, they just stayed in one place. And I'm afraid that the same thing can happen to me if I just stay in one place. If I just stay in the same place of my commitment to personal spiritual discipline, if I stay in the same place of the way that I believe or what I'm seeing or what I think can happen or my prayer life, all of that, if I stay in the same place and never grow, I can get comfortable with that. But we're called to grow. We're called to have a mission. We're called to have an identity. An identity as the royal priesthood and a holy nation. So being untrue to their word brought conflict into the land meant to be the place of, re of their rest. And how many times have we said yes to what God was speaking only to put away our words from our hearts the next day? Or hours as if we did not speak a word to God? If you have seen conflict in the places where you were meant to have rest, what was the last thing God spoke to you 
where you said yes. The last thing that you said yes to when God said, I want you to do this. And in the moment of prayer, our hearts, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, our hearts said yes. But only to not have a mission the next day or the next hour and to see, sit back into our comfort. The combination of being untrue to their word and becoming comfortable caused them to lose sight of what the promised land was meant to be and their role in possessing it, the tearing down of those spiritual kingdoms. If they'd lost touch with their identity of who they were called to be, how could they operate with the authority they needed to overcome the spiritual kingdoms? Because it's going to take authority. It's going to take being that royal priesthood and that holy nation to use the keys of authority to tear down those strongholds. If their identity became, so slowly, became slowly reduced to a people who occupied Canaan and served the idols of the surrounding inhabitants, how would they be established in God's rest as they were meant to be? How would they complete the mission they were called to do? How would they have the proving acts of God operating in their lives? If we're to tear down spiritual kingdoms and possess the land of our promises, we must be sure in our identity. We must be sure. We must resist the process that develops a business-as-usual mentality. We must take up our identity as, that, as the holy nation and the royal priesthood of peculiar people. What is God speaking to us now, is my question. And what is your answer? What is my answer? Because my plea is to please don't let your answer go unattended. Because it's easier to let Moses go risk his life having a face-to-face relationship with God. Just as Moses went up that mountain that day to have a face-to-face relationship, they said, Moses, no, we're, we're afraid. Why don't you go up and have the relationship with God? Why don't you go up and risk your life? Because God is so mighty that I could be struck down. So, let your answer in the word God is speaking to you in this very moment increase your faith. We must begin to see more regularly through the very words God is speaking in our hearts in this moment. If He wishes for us to change, to take action, to repent, then perhaps we should look on the other side of our answer to see what God plans to do. And sometimes that's what we fail, where we fail. God says, I want you to go, I want you, I want you to go do these things for me. And so God, God told me, I want you to go, I want you to go to the hospital as a chaplain, and I want you to... I want you to minister in a way that you've never ministered before. I want you to get into a place that's going to be uncomfortable for you. And it was uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that you see, I was, I've talked about this, uh, the, the Sundays that we've been doing this series. And it's not, it's not a very comfortable place, but whenever God told me to go, to go do it, the first thing I had to do to get strength was start thinking ahead. Lord... I say yes to you, but what's beyond my yes? There's got to be miracles. There's got to be some things that you want to do, God. There's got to be some things and ways that you want me to grow. There's got to be things on the other side of my yes, God, that I don't see now, but I believe in, oh God. It's the faith. The faith in the eyes that are lifted that says, God, I say yes and I believe. 
that because I'm saying yes to you, you're going to break through and break in like I've never seen you before. Not only will I be changed, but the world and those that I enter into and speak with will be changed. What is beyond my yes? And if I think about that, if we think about that today, if God asked me to do something, surely He has a plan to prosper what He's asked us to do. So beyond my answer, when I get involved... When I say yes to it, when I, when I get started doing what He asked me to do, there's going to be things beyond that answer that is going to be miraculous that we can't do on our own where we will begin to see the kingdom of God like we haven't seen it before. What do you imagine when you say yes and follow through? Do you see souls saved? I do. Do you see miracles taking place? I do. Do you see spiritual waters being broken apart as God delivered Israel out of Egypt? I do. Do you see strongholds crumbled before God? I see that. He's able exceeding and abundantly above all that we may ask or think. And I won't limit God by failing to think and consider what's beyond my answer. Your reality will will indeed change once we begin thinking and taking action to see what's on the other side of that answer. God is calling us to possess our identity more fully, to possess His identity more fully. Because whenever we start taking those steps, those actions, we start stepping into our identity as children of God. Into the priesthood that is a showcase people, a nation that is a showcase people. A people who have a relationship with God. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, has a call narrative. Or a story of the time that he was called. In chapters 26 through 29 of Jeremiah, the prophet has his identity as the true prophet of God fully authenticated. And he begins to prophesy in chapters 30 through 33 about the new and unbreakable covenant with God that is coming. This covenant is one that will write the law upon the hearts of the people and bring spiritual transformation through a heart change. Flowing out of this authentication of Jeremiah's prophetic identity comes the prophetic revelation of relationship with God who is about to establish a promise beyond restoration of Israel into the promised land. The following verse, informed with the function of prophecy, not only speaks to Israel, but also to Jeremiah, to the nations of the earth, and to all generations. Jeremiah 33.1 Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the Maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is His name. Call unto Me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In 33.2, the Lord who forms a thing to come to establish it is another way to read this. So think about that. 
The Lord who forms a thing to come and to establish it. The God who forms it. And the word establish, as we looked at the other three lessons in our series, establish is also used as a plant. To plant it. In, in Exodus, whenever they said that we're going to the mountain and He's going to plant us there, that word plant means established. So if you think about that with me for a minute, in the immediate context... Uh, the Lord that formed it is talking about the covenant that's going to come to pass. But if we think about prophecy and the way that prophecy operates, whenever God speaks a word, sometimes it has more than one meaning. And this being on the other side of Jeremiah's authentication as a prophet, I wonder what he must have been thinking whenever, the, whenever that prophecy came up, came out of him. The Lord that formed it. The Lord that formed him. The Lord that formed his ministry. The Lord that formed His life. And I wonder if we can apply that to ourselves today. The Lord who formed us. The Lord who formed our life of faith. The Lord who has formed us, each and every one of us, to plant us. To establish us. You see, that gives me encouragement. And it encourages me because life has ups and downs. And sometimes we feel more able than others uh, to do things that God asked us to do. And on the bad days, it's less than that. On the bad days, it's like, man, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I can do this. I don't feel like I have what it takes. And if we examine some of those feelings, it's true we don't have what it takes. God has what it takes. And that's why it says the God that formed it will establish it. So I'm talking about our answers to God today. The things that we said, God, we're going to do. And I'm talking about your individual life. I'm talking about the ups. I'm talking about the downs. I'm talking about the setbacks. I'm talking about the times that you felt like you were on the mountain. Because the journey of faith includes all of that. And the Lord formed it. He formed us. To plant us. To plant us in the promised land. To plant us in places of peace. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get there. So, this prophecy was toward the unbreakable covenant that God was going to establish with His people. However, this prophecy is uttered on the other side of Jeremiah's authentication, and that's important to remember. So these words ring true for anything that God desires to be formed. They ring true for Jeremiah's calling as a prophet. They ring true for revival. And for each of us who live a life of faith. For we know that God is the author and finisher of our faith. I wonder if we feel the comfort this verse offers us most of the time as I was just talking. If God is the author and finisher of our faith, do we feel that God is forming us in the midst of our adversities? Do we feel that God is forming us on the mountaintop experiences? And if He is, then for what purpose? Because it is for a purpose. How often do we look at our life to see God in the midst of the suffering 
redeeming our trials as He, hold, as he molds our faith? Do we allow opinions about ourselves, other people, our situations, or even God distort the fact that we are a work of God He has formed? What is in our minds? That's right. That is a kingdom. The mind. And the mind is the place that the, that the enemy today is attacking. And if it's not clear, he's attacking us or attacking the minds of people through the surrounding culture of idolatrous things. There's all kinds of idolatry in the world consuming us with comfort, trying to get our minds settled into places that are comfortable, trying to get our minds distracted from our answers that we give to God so that the next day after we give God an answer, we can go back to being comfortable. But why do we do that? Why do we do that? I think, I think that we do that sometimes because we don't see the trial of our faith in the light that God sees it in. Because we can feel so broken. And we can feel sometimes alone or abandoned. But the whole time, God is at work forming us to be planted. To be planted in His promises. To be planted in the holy places. To be planted in His love. To be, places, to be planted and established in His loving kindness. And I think that sometimes our minds can get distracted from that. Because that's the kingdom that the, that the enemy tries to work on first sometimes. However, He did not form us to be purposeless. No, He formed us to be planted or to be established. Consider all those centuries ago as Israel sang their redemption song about being planted on the mountain. If we take what we learned from last week, we can see the beautiful truth that God formed us to establish us on the rock. He made us to be established not in places of distress, fear, and hopelessness, but in places of joy, trust, and inheritance. The land He has desired to plant us in is the kingdom that is at this very moment present. One's identity in the world can become altogether hopeless, but one's identity in God is one that has been carefully formed to be established in His presence. How do we feel whenever we consider how God has formed us to plant us in the, or to establish us in those promises? To be established in, spiritual, in the spiritual promised land with flowing with milk and honey. Yet, if we still have trouble believing and being what God has formed us to be, I think we should lift our voices to claim the promise in verse 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Do you remember what we learned about the song of the sea? How the Scripture used, O Lord, as a prophetic declaration of who God is. I wonder if we can lift our hearts this very moment whenever you need help and speak the words, O Lord, you are my help. O Lord, you cause me to, to be victorious. I need your help to overcome. 
Oh Lord, you are the light in the darkness. I need your help to make it through. Oh Lord, you are the healer of every wound. I need your help to heal my distress. Oh Lord, you are the way maker, the one who forms us to be established. And I need your help to feel that security. Oh Lord, you are the God of the harvest, and I need your help to inhabit the places of promise. In every part of my life, I will lift my eyes to behold your ways. I will call to you today. Oh Lord, if we have that call in our hearts today, can we just clap our hands before the Lord? Oh Lord, you are my help, God. Oh Lord, you are my help. If I lift my eyes to behold His ways. I want to behold the great and mighty things which I have not known. Deliver to me an experience that exceeds my imagination of what is possible. Reveal to me the blessings of the places where we and I are planted. These are the things that God desires to do much more. To call on Him. To ask Him for His help. That's what He says to do. And I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Which thou knowest not, in my opinion, are, are the things that are beyond our imagination when we take the step after we say, after we give God an answer. The activity that we put into motion whenever we say yes to God. I think it's time to look more and more through the eyes of faith as the comforts of the world wax greater and greater. Only through the eye of faith will I be able to reach for the great and mighty things that God wants for us and for me. Only through an eye of faith will, will I be able to see His promises in the context of my own life. If I want to see God like I've never seen Him before, I must begin believing in Him. To believe in what He said. I believe today He's formed me to establish me. I believe that He can do miracles. I believe He saves. I believe that when He speaks, nothing can stop it from coming to pass. Why? Because I've had an experience today. I've had an experience with God that I know is true. And I believe in it. We must see through faith. Looking through any other lens is dangerous because it will affect how we believe and how we live, how we hope, and how we possess the promises of God. In Hebrews 11, often referred to as the Hall of Faith, we see people who saw through the lens of faith. The first half of Hebrews 11 deals with the patriarchal history who through faith preserved, persevered. And that is the context of the following verse, Hebrews 11 and 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And they were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These early exemplars of faith did not allow even the event of death to call into question the validity of promises. Not even the event of death. And throughout history and throughout our Lives, what other event can seem more fearful than dying? At least without preparation, that can be fearful. 
a fearful place. But these people were so sure that they did and that they that they answered when they answered God, they did so by faith. And so persuaded that not even death and the event of death could hinder them. You know, I've had moments where uh, uh, I needed a supernatural impartation of faith, I guess is the best way for me to explain it. Uh, You know, whenever you see individuals in a hospital room with traumas that exceed your ability to withstand, you walk in there and, and you think, Lord, I need some faith right now. I'm getting ready to go into a family that I don't know. I don't know what they believe. I don't know what they're expecting. And all I can do is just have faith in what you can do because I, in this moment, feel utterly powerless and inequipped. And it's, it's interesting because in the middle of that prayer, as I walked through the door, it was like something came alive in me. It wasn't just the Spirit, but I could feel the power of faith as faith arose within me. And it became so powerful that I was so sure of what God could do and would do that I didn't doubt. And I walked in, and I stood around that bed with the, with the, with the man that had passed away and his family, and we all held hands. And we started lifting our voices to God, and I started praying. And they started praying, and we were all connected. And as we were praying, the Spirit of God came into the room like a rushing mighty wind. And people around that circle started having stammering lips. And then I started hearing one or two people start speaking in tongues. Hallelujah! Not even the event of death could persuade me otherwise. I was ready to embrace what God could do. And if we'll embrace and be persuaded of what God can do. And I don't trip. God will astound us. He will establish us. That's right. Another thing that we see from this verse is that those patriarchs were engaged in pilgrimage in response to their divine mandate. Their response to their own call narratives. When God promised Abraham and said, go and I'll give you the land you walk on, Abraham responded. And he went based upon the divine mandate. And that's something else to think about today. Whenever we consider the words that are speaking into our souls, into our hearts, don't just think it's for a moment. Because that subtle word could very well be the mandate of God to take you into places that are, that are unknown to you, but are full of blessing and power. I want to go when He tells me to go. I want to walk on the land that He called me to walk on. I want to respond to the mandate of God. Even when I do not feel equipped, I want to respond. The writers associates 
here in Hebrews, faith with the concept of sight, but only seeing them and saluting them from a distance. So this is where I've been talking about seeing through the eye of faith today. Because for the writer, the salute was an action that was done whenever you had arrived at your homeland for the ancient people. So whenever it says they were saluting, seeing the promises, it's, uh, it's really, they're, they're, doing, they're, they're acting as if they had already arrived at the place that God had called them to. Because the salute was done in their homeland, and if they're already saluting, then they're already claiming. They're claiming what God's done. And so, I fear I'll get ahead of myself if I, uh, you know, if I start here. But, um, you know, that simple salute, sometimes claiming our promises begins with something simple. A simple act. Maybe a simple word. Just something very simple that says, Lord, my faith right now, uh, I, I salute. I'm willing to do something simple. If someone needs help, or if there's a ministry at the church, and it's simple, maybe that's a place to start. To begin claiming the promises. Another thing is that they were strangers and pilgrims in the land. They weren't comfortable. That's something to take notice of. They weren't comfortable. They were strangers and pilgrims. I'm going to have to hurry here. Hebrews 11.14 says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Their response to the divine mandate, the divine promise, dictated that the direction of their longing must be better, a heavenly homeland. Their direction was established based upon the promise that they were ready to receive. So whenever God said, walk upon this land to Abraham, and he started his journey, and God said, I'm going to give a promised land, and Abraham believed in it, and the children of Israel were established in a literal promised land, here we see that they hoped for a heavenly. That whenever they responded to God's call, it wasn't just, it was, that their, their faith didn't just stop with a literal, a literal uh, promised land. No, it went beyond that. It went to something greater. It went to heavenly places. And, I and when I think about Abraham and the way he must have experienced God, I think of a man who had really had his mind blown. When God appeared, or when God spoke to him, I see that, that the word that was spoken as being something that was utterly transforming. And it changed his whole direction. And he started walking toward heavenly places.
There are a couple other concluding lessons to draw from this scripture in the context of this series. One, Abraham sought a better country, which is a heavenly. The promised land was a real place called Canaan, but the better country is heavenly. And two, it required a journey of faith. The faith Abraham had as he looked forward to the promise of God, promises of God was an, an act that imputed to him righteousness. The journey that included the confession and embracing of the promises of God were part of the life of faith. James calls these works. James 2 and 18. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But what thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? And now this is really important in the context of what we're talking about. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works is dead also. So, in order to explain what I'm talking about here, it's important to go back to what I said earlier about prophecy. Prophecy has a, a way of, um, of having more than one meaning. And whenever James equates faith and and. and uh, whenever he equates faith with living, a living body, uh, that, should, that should say something to us here. And the reason why I wanted to talk, why I mentioned prophecy, is because of a little story that I have. Another little story, but it's more than a story, it's more like a testimony. One day, uh, not too long ago, just a few months, I was standing right up here. And I was praying. And the Lord was moving in a really mighty way. And I felt the Lord speak something very directly to me. And uh, uh, it, was, it, it, it was such a word that, it doesn't all, that I don't always hear God in this way, but it was so impressed upon me I couldn't get away from it. And He said, there, are revival, there is revival in the borders. And I said, whoa, Lord, what does that mean? And then He challenged me. Because I knew that it wasn't all going to come to me in that very moment. And I had to start looking to see what it meant. And I came to Joshua 13. And this is the place where Joshua begins to deal out to Israel the lands for their borders. And it says, But unto the tribe of Levi Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel who was, who, uh, uh, of Israel was their inheritance, as He said unto them, and I think that this relates to us because there are places in the Spirit that God wants to deliver to us. There are lands that we are supposed to go as the royal priesthood and the holy nation and to bring this revival to. We have experienced God in a way, that the, in a, in a way far greater exceeding 
that of the, of the Levites, but we are priests in a holy nation. And the, and the revival is going to flow out to other borders, to other places. And when we were challenged to lift our eyes and see daughter works that we have not seen before, this comes to my mind. There are borders where revival is spreading. And we're called to be a part of that. Because the Lord is our inheritance. I also want to challenge us to remember the prophecies that we've received as a church of revival. Of God's inbreaking into this city. And those who have received a word of prophecy comes a special responsibility of maintaining faith. And this is in a second going to relate to James that we just read. This is more than just thinking what God said is going to happen. But believing with such assurance it generates activity in our faith. The following scripture is a reminder of this kind of faith. And now consider this, how the word for spirit, which has the Greek root equivalent to ruach, is used to draw distinction. So what I'm saying here is it's really interesting to me that James would use the, um, the example of a living body not being living as faith without works is also dead. Because we know that God breathed life into us. And I'm not going to... I'm tempted to go into a... uh, I don't have enough time for that. But, yeah, chase a rabbit, that's right. Um, But it's interesting to me, because if we think that a body without breath has no actions, so does faith. But God calls us to put our faith into action. God calls us to do and to have activity. And if I have that, then when God speaks to me, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to respond. I'm going to believe. I'm just going to simply believe and trust that God is going to do something that's beyond my imagination. And um, I think that whenever we receive a word of prophecy or when we receive a mandate, it requires of us to do something. Even if it's small. To begin in the small places and see where God leads us to the bigger places. If I can walk into a room that I feel utterly just not equipped to enter into and see God do a work like He did, man, I want to I walk into all kinds of doors. You know, whatever door that there is, let me walk into it, you know? Because it's not all on my shoulders. It's not all up to me what God is going to do. But we have to expect what God can do. We have to be willing and ready to allow Him to exceed our expectations. To be fully persuaded and embrace God's power in our lives. But to do that, we have to also remember our identity. Who God has called us to be. Who He wants us to be. We can't be comfortable. Because if we're comfortable, we'll never start walking into doors. We'll never start anywhere small. I want to be stirred. I want to be stirred today. And I want to inhabit the work. And that's what this lesson is about. Inhabiting the work. 
Because if God has spoken to us and given us a prophetic word, there is a work that we need to be established in and planted in and allow God to plant us and establish there. Establish us there. And that's just what I see. And that's just how I feel. And that's what I've heard from God today. That He wants to take us to greater places. That He wants to pour out His Spirit in greater ways. That He wants people to be saved in greater numbers than we've seen before. That He wants to heal and do miracles like we haven't seen before. Where does it start? A simple laying on of the hand. Where does it start? A simple visit. If having faith means I should have work, as James describes, as a breath being in a living body, then am I alive in my faith today? Am I willing to allow the God who formed me to establish me in the promised places through a demonstration of faith? Am I willing to allow Him to do that? The demonstration of my faith is that I have put my hand to do something for God. What am I willing to do in this land of our habitation where God has planted us in such rich blessing. These are heavenly places where God has planted us in those rich, in those rich blessings. And we're meant to walk. We're meant to walk with Him as His bride and the bride of Christ. However, our citizenship will be far less fruitful if we are not fully persuaded in the promises of God as Abraham was. If we're not so certain that not even the event of death can shake our belief. Citizenship in the heavenly places means to look at life through the eyes of faith and embrace the work that our divine mandate requires. Our sojourning may bring trial. Perhaps we have been discouraged at times or felt unworthy. But He has formed us, again, someone say it with me, to establish us according to His will. If our faith lives and we determine to inhabit the work, then we will see the proving acts of God. We will, see and we will have Sabbath rest in the lands of promise. We will see the bitterness of life turn sweet. And we will surely see the kingdom. Amen. Signs, miracles, and wonders will follow the priests of this holy nation. Amen. For the heavenly miracles and the heavenly places are now the places God has caused us to possess as a land. If you still have doubt and are not sure of your calling as a part of the redeemed people of God, then hear the words God spoke toward Jeremiah during the chapters where his call to be a prophet was being authenticated. 29.11 For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me, with all your heart. That's with our whole heart today. Our whole heart. God is eager to show us great and mighty things. He is ready to hear us and meet our needs, but we must call upon Him and pray. We must seek Him, for we will find Him when we search with Him with our whole hearts. If we could stand today. With our whole hearts, with our whole hearts, we must search for Him. With our whole hearts, we must commit to these words that we've heard today. To start small 
and to believe and to have faith? Can we do it with our whole hearts? That's the challenge. Will we inhabit the work? Let's pray today in closing.